0: Howdy friends! I'm Kaylee Wilpink, a small town country girl from Arizona who's landed in the big city of Los Angeles, California. Welcome to another episode of my podcast, Cowgirl in LA. Come along as I share the lessons that I've learned along the way and as I continue to figure out who the fuck I am and where the fuck I fit in. It's a messy wild ride, so strap in! Howdy friends, welcome to another episode of Cowgirl in LA. I'm your host Kaylee Wilbing and I'm so happy to have you here this week. If you follow along on the podcast episode week to week, you may have noticed that there wasn't an episode last week. That's because I've been moving not to a different city. I'm still in Los Angeles. I just moved to a new apartment and it's my first apartment ever like on my own. And maybe that's bad to put on the internet. I hope I don't get any stalkers, but I live in a very secure building. Don't worry, mom. Anyways, (laughs) I've been busy, so I didn't have too much capacity to do the episode this week. But I am excited about this week's episode because we're going to be talking about reproductive rights. This is a topic that I'm really passionate about because I'm super passionate about advocating for marginalized groups. And this topic of reproductive rights is all about advocating for women and children who are two of the largest marginalized groups. Not only in the world, but in our country, in your community, probably. I should also update everyone what my beverage of the week is. Again, I'm doing a Dr. Pepper Zero Sugar I feel like that was last week's beverage as well, but don't worry. I just went grocery shopping at Erewhon like literally two hours ago and I got a few different beverages. So next week I for sure will have a different beverage that I will review for y'all, but you know how I love my Dr. Pepper, zero sugar diet Dr. Pepper preferably. So I'm sipping on it and enjoying it. We love it. So this week, I brought on a friend, her name is Emmy, to talk about reproductive rights. And I'm really excited to introduce her and for everyone to get to know her. I recorded this episode with her maybe a week and a half ago. So we've kind of been sitting on it and this recording is going to be just like pre-combo. Before we get into that, part of the episode, I do just want to give a little bit of an overview about what reproductive rights are and what reproductive rights means when we talk about that. Reproductive rights means having the ability to decide whether and when to have children. So this looks like women having the economic means to provide for children. Also, not just women men as well because everyone should contribute to the economic means for providing for the children but for so often that burden is often placed on women specifically single women single mothers so that's a layer to this this is advocating for women to have the right to contraceptive contraception what what, what do we say there? Contraception, contraceptive, birth control. We love birth control or we hate birth control. It's a nuanced topic. <laughs> but basically we want to ensure that women have the right to access that. This is also a conversation about women having the ability to decide whether or not they would like to have an abortion. This conversation is about women being able to afford medical care for those children and also I keep saying women but I I hope everyone knows that I fully understand that this is a conversation for both men and women but as a single woman myself that's kind of where my brain goes to when I think about all of these things like how does this affect me just me as a human so I hope everyone knows that i don't just mean women, I mean men and women, whoever wants to raise children. The next layer to this is giving people the right to have family planning and ensuring that there are policies in place for family planning, such as maternity and paternity leave, child care, stuff like that. This is also talking about children in the foster care system. This is talking about fertility care. There's so many layers to this conversation surrounding reproductive rights. And like I said, this is just something that I'm super passionate about because so much of this area really affects women and children who are marginalized groups and could use a little bit of extra advocating for. There's a lot of different brand names for this conversation. You may know this as like pro-life versus pro-choice. Maybe it's anti abortion versus pro abortion. But in my brain, when I think about all of these topics, it comes down to reproductive rights. And so that's going to be the main meat of the episode. But just to clarify for those of you who maybe feel uncomfortable, or I don't know, I think a lot of these conversations come with a lot of heat. And I'm super aware of that. And I just, want to have a conversation about these things that are just real and open, but at the end of the day, the conversation about reproductive justice means that we're equally devoted to giving women the right to give birth to a child in a safe and affordable environment with resources to provide for that child and giving women the right to choose to have an abortion if that's what they want to choose. The other layer to this is that we're also equally devoted to advocating for those infants and those children that are born into the country. What do their lives look like after they have been born? So there's just a a large conversation to this and lots of layers, lots of nuanced layers. And I know sometimes that this can be a heated topic to talk about. But I'm really grateful that you're here and open to hearing about what me and Emmy have to say about it. Neither of us are experts on the field, just something that we're super passionate about as women ourselves. And yeah, I'm excited for you to get to know Emmy and learn from her. So, to give you a little overview of Emmy, Emmy and I were neighbors at my first apartment in LA. Honestly, we didn't really talk when when we were neighbors. Our time overlapped. Living there wasn't super long. But when she moved in, we just kind of like exchanged phone numbers, exchanged Instagram handles. And then, yeah, she started following along with the podcast. And I asked who would like to have a conversation about reproductive rights, and she volunteered. So Emmy is amazing. She's an actor, she's a writer, and I'm so excited for you to learn from her. Here we go. I hope you enjoy. Before we get into the meat of the episode, let's give an introduction. You grew up in Minnesota.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, in a small little lake town. It's called Waconia. I'm going to put it on blast. It was a very wealthy, very conservative very religious town it was very small my graduating class had like 200 people in it everyone kind of knew everyone
0: and you have one brother
1: I do I have an older brother he's eight years older than me he's super cool he has a house and a dog and Ooh. a very what good job dog? I think it's a mutt but it's like a husky something mix and so yeah. it's massive it's like has really long legs and it's very Ooh. tall and same as lichen it's so cute
0: do we do you have any pets
1: I don't, I don't think I'm responsible enough for Uh, a pet yet. Yeah. I would love one, but I (laughs) that's really
0: self-aware. So when the topic of abortion was brought to me, I was just very much like, babies, yeah, we don't like babies are lives. Like, we don't, why are you killing babies? You know? Mm -hmm. That's kind of what I understood and realized. Actually, abortion, I think, was the first thing for me that was one of my first big flips on for me. Because I remember learning about how Women could be denied the right for abortions, even if they are in medical situations that their lives are at risk right. versus the baby's lives being at risk. And there are lots of stories where doctors will save the baby, but not the mother's life mm-hmm. because of the law. Yeah. And I was just like, oh my goodness, shouldn't the woman be able to choose that? Like, yeah. that doesn't like make the sense. The whole to person me. that's already like, <laughs> Yeah. And so that's, that got me thinking like, okay, I should probably think more about this. And like, what are the actual logistics behind how all of this works? Because quite frankly, I'm pretty naive. And then I started learning more and I, I got to understand things a little bit better. So that's kind of where my baseline of reproductive freedom started And Emi and I were talking before this, and she had a bit of a different experience. I was wondering if you could share what your experience was like.
1: Yeah, my mom had me a little bit later than at least a lot of my friends' parents. Like, my mom had me when she was in her 40s. So I think that she just came at a lot of things from, like, a different perspective. But we always talked about sex in my house, at least her and I, not, like to an excess or in yeah. a weird way but whenever I had questions she always answered them I remember like seeing like a scene on tv I think it was like on an episode of ER that i would overheard or seen as I was walking through where they had been like you know having sex and I like was like what are they doing and I was like oh well like, they're having sex and I was like what's that and she's like well when two people love each other like it's a thing that they do so it was like always very open topic. As I got into my teenhood, I maybe didn't talk about it as much with her because it started to become like a personal thing and less of a like inquisitive, like what's going on thing. So my mom was always very open about it. And then I also, I was telling you that I grew up in the church. I grew up Moravian and I had a... Could you explain what that is? Yeah, Moravians are basically, Moravians are notorious for explaining it like this, which is just like we're Lutherans, but from a different place, Moravia, which I believe... If my (laughs) vast I think was a place. Okay. And they were missionaries primarily in the beginning. They would start churches and then like leave them to whoever wanted to keep them going, whether it was like a Catholic or a Lutheran or like like all these things. Moravians would like travel, start a church, leave it behind. Oh, and so there's a lot of Moravians in like Africa, there's a lot of Moravians like in South America. Like they're kind of all over because of that. It's very liberal leaning church. Mm -hmm. It still has like a lot of ideology that is very rooted in like what Christianity you'd expect. Yeah. yeah but it definitely is more liberal leaning than other churches yeah. we actually didn't start going there until I was maybe 11 or 12 okay but right around kind of like when everyone's getting into like youth groups and getting like confirmed and all that jazz mm-hmm. so I had a youth group leader who is a woman and her name is Trisha and I knew of her like in the community because she is a fifth grade teacher But she was just always really, really, really open with me and my other friends at church. And she wasn't that much older than us. I think she had already had her first babies. She has twins. And so she maybe was 30, but she felt like very close in age. So she was just always like an open book. We talked about sex with her. We talked about like gay rights with her. We talked about like all these like super, super taboo topics. She would just chat all the time. And we talk about everything and probably make lots of people in our youth group very uncomfortable, Mm -hmm. but she was in the Peace Corps. And so she had been all over and yeah, she talked about especially abortion and reproductive rights with me and some of my other like gal friends from a very, very early age. That's cool. I remember her kind of just like extending the, like, if you ever need anything, if you ever feel like you can't go to your mom, if you ever feel like you can't go to like, you know, your parents, Mm -hmm. like I'm here kind of thing.
0: Which those people are so key Mm -hmm. in communities. It's incredible what even just one person with resources, the impact that they can have on people. And I think that that's kind of the overarching thing that I've been thinking about this week with reproductive justice is just every woman's life and every woman's sexual experience and sexual health is unique to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There is not one woman on the planet that has the same exact situation as another one. So how, how can we make laws that, yeah. that, I don't know. It literally, it just doesn't make sense to me. And I, I guess I struggle with people not, I don't know.
1: Yeah. I mean, I... Growing up in a conservative town, I remember I went to a Catholic school for the first couple of years of elementary school. And at the end of the Pledge of Allegiance, we would say born or unborn. Oh. And I remember not obviously being like six or seven, like not knowing what that meant and just thinking it was part of the Pledge of Allegiance. And mm-hmm. then going to public school and then saying that out loud and someone being like, what did you just say? Yeah. I was like born or unborn. And, like, the idea of, like, this unborn being, like, indoctrinated into kids from such an early age of, like, it being a group of people that needed protecting was something that I now look back on and I'm like, oh, that's how you do it. One of the ways in which you can convince women that they don't need to have body autonomy is by ingraining it so early. Yeah. That there's this group. Yeah. And, like, I'm not, like, you know, I we were talking about this earlier. It's like, if you don't believe that you like, if you don't want an abortion, like that's totally okay. And you cannot want other people to get abortions, and that's totally okay. But you can't tell people that they can't get abortions. Yeah. Everyone is so entitled to feeling how they feel about something like that, that being abortions. But it's mm-hmm. like, at the end of the day, I don't make medical decisions for anybody else except myself. Mm-hmm. So I don't understand how people can come to the conclusion. That they can make, like, these
0: big, overarching, like,
1: medical decisions. Because that's what it is. Yeah. It's like a personal medical decision Mm -hmm. that only you can make. Yeah.
0: I think another thing that really made an impact in the way that I view reproductive rights is the foster system. Mm -hmm. The foster system is so... Yeah. It's brutal. Yeah. And it is... The source of a lot of trauma. Mm -hmm. I think a lot, a lot, a lot of just really harmful generational trauma is caused when children are not in healthy environments and safe environments. And it's a cycle. It just is a cycle. And I just think that. When mothers are forced to have children that they cannot provide for, whether that be because they have medical issues, mental health issues, whether they have financial issues, whether they just don't want to be mom. like There's literally so many reasons why mothers shouldn't be mothers or don't want to be mothers. And it is not fair for a child to be born into the world and have to suffer those consequences of not having parents who are emotionally available for them, physically available for them, financially available for them. It is not their job to take on that brunt of the stuff. And so it really comes down to women having the choice to decide if that's.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean I I remember my mom from a very early age always telling me like how much she wanted me. Mm-hmm. And I remember that that I think even in like my dating life now as an adult, I see how imperative that was to feel very wanted by somebody. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like by my parents mm-hmm. like my parents want my mom and like not just my mom my dad yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> my mom and my dad like wanted kids yeah. and like we were those kids like yeah. and they wanted to be parents and mm-hmm. they were so lucky to be our parents your parents are the first people for most people whether it's your parents or your grandparents or whoever it is like your primary guardian is like this person yeah. who you like seek validation from and I have friends whose parents have explicitly said to them like I didn't really want to be a mom now that you're an adult and I see you and like I can tell you this, like, I didn't really want kids. yeah, And I can't imagine the way that that feels like I literally can't even begin to comprehend that. Because I was so just told from such an early age that I was like, beloved, you yeah. know, by my parents. And we're only just beginning to learn about how like fetuses and how babies literally absorb their mother's feelings like the mm-hmm. trauma. There's all this new research coming out about how like, if, mothers experience trauma or stress like in like the later months of pregnancy how like that's embedded in our DNA Mm -hmm. I can't even imagine being forced to birth a baby and like the kind of stress and trauma that causes but that's being interwoven into that person Mm -hmm. and their personhood yeah obviously people can overcome anything yeah and like that's valid but I just think that I don't want people walking around whose parents didn't want them no that's awful (laughs) I'm like, because they didn't have a choice. I don't know if
0: that makes sense. It makes 100% sense. And I feel the same way. It makes me really sad that people feel like they're advocating for children, but they're advocating for fetuses, which is different than a child. And if you really feel like you want to advocate for children, which children are a marginalized group Mm -hmm. who do need advocating for because in many instances, they do not have the autonomy or the power to advocate for themselves. Yeah. So they are a very marginalized group of people. And if we have the best intentions for this marginalized group of people, aka children and youth, what are some of the factors that go into helping to ensure that they are provided for mm-hmm. both emotionally, physically, all of these resources that these Children need.
1: Yeah. I mean, I I remember just like growing up in such a wealthy community that primarily would stand behind a lot of the Mm anti-abortion stance, the Mm pro-life, but then hearing the same rhetoric of like pull yourself up by your bootstraps kind of stuff Mm -hmm. and like how those two things could live in the same place. Like how could you be advocating for anti-abortion, for pro-life, but not then supporting those people who are born into this world? Like with government facilitated resources whether it's providing food providing like childcare for mothers Mm -hmm. and parents like all these things that like I would hear them then bash and be like oh no like they got to do it themselves Mm -hmm. but like they had to have these babies yeah it was so confusing to me yeah it still is
0: and I think something that's helped me have even a deeper understanding of reproductive rights is just being an adult Mm -hmm. (laughs) and like (laughs) I remember just being like in high school or even early college days and feeling the need to know my stance yeah on this thing without any education mm-hmm. about my reproductive system like how are you expecting me to advocate for these fetuses or choose to advocate for pro choice whatever that means mm-hmm but not even teach me what it, like, what is, what are the layers here? Like, yeah. give me the understanding of that. And so I think there's a lot of heat around this topic, specifically because there's a lack of education about the reproductive system. It just blows my mind that as a woman, I don't have the autonomy to choose how my body is used. Yeah. Yeah. As a mother, as a woman with a mother, your body is being used. Mm -hmm. If you choose that and that's an experience that you want, that is so beautiful. And to clarify, like, I want to be a mom one day. If I have children, I would probably be very happy and I'm excited to have children. I don't want them right now. Yeah. I want to be in a place where I can emotionally support these children. Yeah. I want to be in a place where I can financially support my children. I want to be in a place where... A world where, like, I know that my daughter can also mm-hmm. be in a place where her body is respected. And so these are thoughts that go into almost every woman's mind. Yeah. I guarantee you, most women have these thoughts all the time. And who's a better expert at women's bodies and what goes on and what they want to do with it than, like, the actual woman? The women. Like, the actual <laughs> woman. And so it just blows my mind that there are these really sweeping laws being made that just, they just don't make sense.
1: Yeah, and they're going to disproportionately affect women of color and women whose economic stances who are under the poverty line. Like, white women will always have access to abortions. Mm -hmm. And, like, you don't even need to be, I don't even think a wealthy white woman, just a white woman you probably have more economic means by which to obtain an abortion whether that's crossing state lines whether that's ordering the abortion pill like there are all mm-hmm. these ways that white women have been obtaining abortions whether they're legal or not yep. forever mm-hmm. and they'll continue to do that mm-hmm. the idea of turning over this law is rooted in racism yes. because it'll it'll mostly affect those groups yeah like you know the 16 year old whose parents like don't just want them to find out like she will probably still be able to get an abortion because Mm -hmm. she will either tell her parents or she'll like have the means by which to take the money and go across. You know, like Mm -hmm. there are all these depictions of that in media and that will continue to happen. Mm -hmm. But women of color, like people who don't have that economic means, like they're going to be the ones who suffer and they're going to be the ones that die. And I know that's like a really stark way to think about it, but it's the reality of the idea of overturning Roe v. Wade. Mm-hmm. And it's also like something that's been in place for 50 years. Yeah, Like it's not new.
0: No, it feels like even Roe v. Wade is like the bare minimum. Yeah. I even think that there should be more rights than just the basics of Roe v. Wade, you know? Yeah. Like more should be done about the situation than even just that
1: well and it's like we still live with just such a stigma around abortion yeah and it's why I try and talk about it a lot and why I'm so grateful that Trisha and like even my pastor like we all had conversations about it from such an early age that it's like it's just not this like terrifying scary thing Mm -hmm. and it's part of healthcare. Mm -hmm. and I think that's because we have so much emotion attached to it we kind of negate that but it is like It's procedure. It's a healthcare. It's you know, like it is something that it should be a right. Yeah. So
0: I'm a data gal. Mm -hmm. I work in advertising, so my day job is just basically analyzing data to decide what to do with people's money. Mm -hmm. So I I love looking at data, and I think data in and of itself tells a lot of the story. And if we want to make correct and informed decisions. We should use the data that's available to us. Mm -hmm. And I just think that we live in such a cool time in history because we can analyze data like nobody's business. I don't know. Data is just fucking cool. Just to do like a quick overview of some of like the actual logistics of this topic that we're talking about, because before we can even have an opinion, we've got to understand what we're talking about, right? So I am getting all this information from nonpartisan fact check site. So the facts on abortion, there are two types of abortion. So there's a medication abortion, which is where you take pills to induce. Is it? Are you
1: comfortable with me yes, talking about please? it? Yes, please. You're probably. Um, I actually have abortion pills at my home. Cool. And um, you don't need to be pregnant to be prescribed them. I don't know other states, but California is like a telehealth kind of state so Mm -hmm. I didn't even do a full doctor's appointment I just like gave my medical history I told them what I was on I told them that I was not currently pregnant that I wanted to have these medications on hand in case I ever became pregnant and I did it because it made me feel safer yeah in terms of the political climate Mm -hmm. even though like my body shouldn't be a political issue but just you know with everything going on I was like I don't know yeah and I was also like I don't know if these are for me I don't know if these are for someone else yeah But I just wanted to have them. And they're not a scary thing. They're not like a terrifying box Mm -hmm. that came with all these metal tools in the mail. Like, they're two pill bottles. And they have very clear instructions on them. They come with a pamphlet. Yeah. I don't know if I'll ever have to use them. They have a shelf life of two and five years. They're usually taken together, but they can be taken separate, I believe, Mm -hmm. and aren't as effective. Mm -hmm. But I just wanted to say that because I think that when we talk about abortion, it can feel really far away. Yeah. And... For a lot of people, like, they won't ever have to have an abortion, Mm -hmm. but you probably know someone who has. Mm -hmm. And so I just wanted to say that, like, abortion pills aren't, like, this terrifying thing. Mm -hmm. Do
0: you know what the time period, the weeks that...
1: I believe you can take abortion pills up to... I would really have to check. I think it's 10 weeks. Oh,
0: yep. I'm reading right here. Generally
1: used in the first 10 weeks of pregnancy. And it's a very safe option. Mm -hmm. It's not an invasive option. It is like the equivalent of a very heavy period, Mm -hmm. essentially.
0: And then the other
1: option is the surgical abortion where,
0: yeah, it's a medical procedure where there's a suction emptying your uterus.
1: I think that's what we primarily kind of picture. When Mm -hmm. we picture abortions is like the invasive Mm -hmm. medical procedure. Yep.
0: And so from a statistic standpoint, 37% of abortions are done in the first six weeks. Seventy nine percent are done in the first nine weeks,
1: which is very early.
0: (laughs) Ninety two percent are done in the first 13 weeks. Very early. Ninety two percent (laughs) of abortions. Less than one percent occur after 21 weeks. And these are usually deemed medically necessary.
1: Yeah. So I'm sure like for whatever reason, whether it's the mother or the baby's Mm -hmm. health, just not a viable pregnancy anymore Mm -hmm. at that
0: point. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess I just feel a little bit confused why people have an issue with abortions being performed very responsibly, Mm -hmm. like, safely, safely and responsibly. And uh, like, I also don't want to shame any woman for choosing to have an abortion for whatever reason. I don't think anyone should have the right to say whether a person should or should not have an abortion. So I don't even want to talk about that. Mm -hmm. But for those of you who think about that, (laughs) just so you know, like 92% of abortions are done within the first 13 weeks of pregnancy. And if I were in a place where I realized that I was pregnant and already made that decision by 13 weeks, there was a really legitimate reason why I didn't feel comfortable with moving
1: forward with a pregnancy for one reason or another. So like, what, like, three months in a week? Like, that's, you know, I miss my period sometimes. Yeah. You don't even, it's, that's such an early stage, which is what I think, for me, has always been the hang-up, is that, like, having this conversation with people who don't believe in women having abortions, I was always just, like, so early. Yeah. <laughs> Look at, like, those stats. But not to say that any later... I don't know. People are allowed to have abortions. Yes. For any reason at any time. With the care of a doctor. Mm-hmm. Responsibly, safely. Like, I think safety is, like, the main thing.
0: hmm Another thing that I have been... So, I... I listen to the stories of women. Mm -hmm. And I think that we should all do that. And something that I've noticed that is a trend is that a lot of abortions are actually done by women who already have children.
1: Yeah. 60%
0: of mothers, 60% of abortions done are from women who are already mothers.
1: At that point, that person has a full understanding of What it means to be pregnant, what it means to give birth, what it means to be a parent. I don't know. How could you not regard that decision as one made with a lot of thought behind it?
0: Especially living in an environment where childcare costs are equal to an income. Mm -hmm. I'm just thinking about this now, but I was under the impression when I was like a teenager, early 20s, that if I wanted to. Be a mother, which I do. I do want to be a mother yeah. one day. And I wanted to have a career, I would need to pay for the childcare. Yeah. Like that would come from my paycheck, not from my husband's paycheck, but from my paycheck. Mm-hmm. And if I'm getting paid just basically taking out the childcare costs and I'm just getting paid like little bitty pieces, is it worth it for me to have a career? There's just so many layers that are so personal to each person. It doesn't surprise me that mothers are sitting here, they get pregnant with another child, and they're like, I can't afford to have another kid in daycare. It's it's I can't afford. I don't have the emotional bandwidth to literally raise a human being. Yeah. And what an honest and heroic position to be in to recognize that this life of a child is so valuable and important and divine and innocent. And you realize that you do not have the means or the capabilities to give that child what it needs. And neither does the system or the, the economy or the world that you live in. Yeah, I just think that it's really heroic for women who... Make that decision with all of the layers as it's attached to it. It's a really compassionate it.
1: choice, mm-hmm. and I think that because of the way abortion has been portrayed and like pushed forward as like this terrible, scary thing, we don't even think about the compassion that goes into a lot of people choosing to have abortions. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: The other layer to this is that eighty-six percent of those abortions are from unmarried women. Mm-hmm. So sixty percent of those abortions are coming from mothers mm-hmm. 86% of abortions are from single
1: moms which like ha- i can barely support myself i know and like <laughs> i can't imagine supporting like another being on my income and like somehow caring for it and like emotionally being there but also going to my job but also paying for childcare yeah. but also like
0: and i'm bad at math so i'm not going to tell you that number so a lot of these abortions are done from single mothers
1: mm-hmm. if you find yourself pregnant and you want to be a single mother and like that's a challenge or a blessing or whatever you see it as you want to take on that's amazing yes we live in america you're allowed to have that baby yep you know what i like that's also part of the deal is like i just i think that it's so hard for me to come to (laughs) any other conclusion other than like don't you want people to be able to choose yeah because we're not forcing people to give birth we're not right now i mean you know yeah but there are places that you can only have one kid in your house. There are countries where there's a limit on cho- like we don't have yeah. that. We don't have all these things and it's so it's like
0: choice. 75% of abortions are from people in low income brackets.
1: <sighs> Which kind of hurts my heart a little. We also just don't provide people with the opportunity to be parents in a financially responsible way. You know, like we don't have those things in place. Mm -hmm. I'm sure there are so many moms out there who probably had abortions that they would have kept their baby if they knew they could care for it financially.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And like, that sucks too. Mm -hmm. You know, like it's such a layered thing.
0: I think that a lot of people have this view of like, oh, how could a woman do that?
1: Like how brutal. Yeah. How'd that baby get there though? Yeah. (laughs) Women don't fall pregnant on their own. Mm -hmm but yet the like the responsibility and like the moral responsibility somehow only falls on mothers to make that decision which is their decision mm-hmm.
0: but it's also their responsibility to financially provide for yeah. and like medically like can we just talk about what it costs to give birth to a child alone
1: mm-hmm. and like what it does to your body like- <laughs> yeah it's so expensive. It's so taxing, from what I've heard. Never been mm-hmm. pregnant, but you know, giving birth like so expensive. I got stitches in my knee last summer. I had insurance at the time, and I have a different insurance now. But I had to do a payment plan to like pay it off. Yeah, for like seven stitches. I can't imagine giving birth. Like that must yeah. be so expensive.
0: So, in order to have health care in this country, you have to be working full time. Yeah. So in order for a single mom to give birth to a child, she would have to be working full-time to even be able to kind of Mm -hmm. afford to give birth to the child. And then on top of that, she probably will have some medical debt. Yeah. And she will have to provide for that child for at least 18 years or for however long she feels morally obligated. And if she can't, She may have the best of intentions of doing that. And worst case scenario, the child goes into foster care where it is also just not provided for. Mm -hmm. Probably has trauma, sexual trauma, emotional abuse, physical abuse, socially isolated. Like I remember going to school... And knowing which kids were in the foster system. You know. Yeah. You can tell what kids those are. And those are always the kids that are bullied. Mm -hmm. They usually have mental health related to trauma. Yeah. And then the cycle starts all over again. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. So basically, why is this all happening? Why are these conversations happening on social media this week? So I feel like we need to... Talk about the Supreme Court and what the role is there. Would you mind?
1: Well, first of all, a lot of the newer judges Mm -hmm. have said in their confirmation hearings that that Roe v. Wade is law of the land, like it is like a bedrock law. And a lot of the judges, newer ones who were appointed during President Trump's presidency, said that and were confirmed because as that was part of the reason people were like, okay, we can confirm this judge because like they're impartial to this, whatever. But there's been a draft leaked from the Supreme Court, basically saying that they will be overturning Roe v. Wade come June, I believe is when they're supposed to hear. So yeah, I think it's a really scary thing.
0: So the logistics of what that means is basically there are state laws and there are federal laws. Mm -hmm. So states have the ability to make laws for the people that live within their state boundaries, but there are also laws that are made within the view of the whole U.S. as a whole. There are logistics about whether you can, like, in the state of California, even if Roe v. Wade is overturned, you can still have an abortion in California because of the California laws. But there are some states that are... Trigger states. Yeah. The
1: moment Roe v. Wade is overturned, the laws that they've, I believe, already passed kind of are then the Mm -hmm. law, which effectively bans abortions entirely. Yes. Yes. Um, Which it's just like just the idea of that is so mind-boggling to me because yeah. I've been told over and over and over again for so long that no one is ever going to overturn Roe v. Wade. Like don't like I don't even know you'd ever worry about mm-hmm. that. Like those trigger states don't matter because this would never happen.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Can we talk about what it means when you say Roe v. Wade being overturned? What does that mean?
1: So Roe v. Wade was the case that came to the Supreme Court in 1973 that basically just gave women the right to an abortion, to choose an abortion. I believe it's on the basis of privacy, isn't it? Privacy and also just like body autonomy Mm -hmm. were kind of like the bedrock of it. Mm -hmm. Because it was a woman who, I mean, because it was a woman who wanted to have an abortion who never ended up having an abortion because Mm -hmm. of how long it took to get through the court system. Mm -hmm. Roe v. Wade, I think people think that there was like an actual abortion involved, but there wasn't. Mm -hmm. Like the baby was born. Yeah. Because... Courts take a long time to yeah. do
0: things. Something that I didn't realize until I took literally a law class is how cases like this set what's called the precedent yeah. for future cases. Yeah. So because the Supreme Court, the court over the whole United States, agreed with this ruling, like this ruling happened it whatever, one, mm-hmm. basically this woman has the right to have the bodily autonomy of an abortion, That set the precedent for future cases. It's
1: what birth control, like having the right to have birth control, it's what a lot of different other rulings that came after it used it as the stepping stone. So, overturning Roe v. Wade is a very big thing because it can trigger a lot of other things to be like, oh, if that isn't the bedrock, if that isn't the basis, then what else can we overturn? Mm -hmm.
0: There's just so many layers to this. So, regardless of whether you would ever get an abortion or not, should not impact the way that Roe v. Wade is treated as a law. Right. I can even take it back. I could say confidently, I'll never get an abortion. Or I could say, you know, maybe one day I would get an abortion. Mm-hmm. That doesn't matter at all. Yeah. The moral obligation of what I think impacts me alone.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But this law here has an impact on women outside of you. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the scary thing. And the people that it is going to impact the most are single mothers and specifically single mothers of color. Yeah. And I think just like you were saying, wealthy women will always be able to cross the state line. Let's say you live in a a state that doesn't allow abortion. Just hop on a plane and come to California. No big deal. Come for a little beach vacation. Get some pills. You're good to go. Go back home. Take care of it but single women low income single women specifically single mothers who are people of color
1: they don't have the means they don't have the they don't means have the to have also like we think about like time is privilege yeah having like the time to go do these things having the time to make appointments even at places that do have abortions like to make your planned parenthood to have the downtime of if you're feeling unwell for a day or two like to take off work like all those things are privilege that not everyone has. Yeah. And I think that sometimes it's hard when you are afforded so much privilege in your life. You, you grow up with it. You start to think that either it, that it's inherent that everyone has that or that like, oh, like why not just, you know, like, just take the time off. Mm-hmm. But they can't. And I think that it's hard sometimes for us to look outside of ourselves and realize how we are bathed in privilege.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're getting to the end of the episode. We're going to do a few more parts to this. Do you have any other last thoughts about reproductive rights or anything on that line?
1: Just that as a woman, as a uterus owner, I just really believe that I'm allowed to make decisions for myself, just like you're allowed to make decisions for yourself. And I think that we need to advocate for that because without it, I don't know where we would be. Mm -hmm. And I think that So many women and so many people fought for so long to give me the life I have. I feel like I have to continue the fight. Mm
0: -hmm. And if you had a microphone that reached the whole entire world, what would you say? Oh, no. Into that microphone.
1: Um, Frogs are the superior animal. (laughs) They're the best animal, frogs. Why? Because their eyes and their tongues, (laughs) they can jump really high. No, I would say that. If you can look outside of yourself and just be compassionate towards others, you will find a lot of grace there. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, thank you, Abby, for joining us on Thanks this week's for having episode. Me. Um, I hope everybody had a great week and learned something from this episode. I also just want to say, if you feel conflicted about all of this stuff that is going on, that is okay. Mm-hmm and i know that there's a lot of pressure for you to just know and understand and make these big sweeping claims and post on social media all your thoughts and opinions it's okay for you to like take some time to learn about things observe things before you have a solidified opinion on something and it's also okay to change your opinion yeah like it is very okay for you to change your thoughts and your feelings on something Because you know what? The world is changing every day. So quickly, so fast. And that's kind of normal for us to change (laughs) and grow. Just give yourself grace in all of this time, especially if you're a woman. This is really heavy. No matter what your political leanings, whatever that is, I'm sure that what has been happening in the last few weeks has probably been weighing heavily on your heart and your mind. And you know what? You probably don't have the emotional capacity to think about it because you're busy being a mom and you're working and you're doing whatever you're doing. And so I just appreciate you taking the time to listen to this episode to try and learn and grow along with us. Like, I'm not an expert at anything. I'm
1: definitely not an expert. Anything I said could definitely be.
0: Yeah, we're just, we're just strongly opinionated ladies with a microphone who love chatting (laughs) and want to see women thrive and be able to have autonomy over their bodies anyways all that to say (laughs) thank you love you everyone have a great week bye